Matthew 11, verses 25 through 30. This is God's word. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And we'll end our reading of God's Word there. Brothers and sisters and friends here in Russell, let me say again how grateful I am for having had the opportunity to come and open God's Word with you these last several Lord's Days. As I walked in to the building this evening, I knew I needed a bulletin, and I figured one would be on the it's out there, the table. And as I went to grab the bulletin for today's service, I had seen these last week, uh, but I hadn't read them. I figured I, I knew what they were, and I grabbed one. And it's beautiful. Whoever designed it, I'm sure it was a, a group effort, perhaps not, but uh, I, think, I think this is great. You're moving. You're letting your community know. You're inviting those in your community who are without God and without hope in this world laboring under the curse of sin. You are inviting them to church, to your church. And that's a very good thing. But I hope we all recognize and realize and appreciate that this shouldn't be the only and final invitation. This is not the ultimate invitation that you want to come. As important as this is, and I don't want to discount it, 
You want those in your community to respond to this invitation so that they have an opportunity to hear and respond to this invitation. Because you can't give your neighbor soul rest. But Jesus can. And Jesus promises it. And Jesus, with arms wide open, offers it. To who? To all who labor and are heavy laden. And as much as we want to consider the impact and the outworking of this text upon our evangelistic thinking, brothers and sisters, I think there's far too many of us in the church that have wandered from the rest that Jesus promises here in this invitation. You see, we have to discipline ourselves to rest in Jesus. And that shouldn't be toilsome. But we wander from it. We get distracted. We fall prey to our own sinful thinking. And we wonder why we are not at rest in our souls. So let me ask you this. Now, do you come into tonight's service at rest in the innermost part of your being, subjectively, or have you been restless? Have you been restless? Have I been restless? I want us to consider this invitation the time that we have left, I want to appreciate together before we jump into this that these words that are open before us in God's Word have been breathed in and, and sipped and delighted in and drunk in for countless generations since the time Jesus ever uttered them. Those who have truly responded to this invitation, have never been let down. Jesus cannot let you down. He may not do exactly what you want Him to be doing, but this is a promise. Jesus will fulfill it. He has generation after generation Son of God extends an open invitation to all those in need of rest. What kind of rest? Soul rest. We'll consider that shortly. Well, I want us to look at this invitation in three parts. Let me tell you what they are. First place, the one who invites. 
In the second place, the ones who are invited. In the third place, the rest that is promised. We begin with the one who invites. Who is the one extending this open invitation to come to him for rest for your soul? It's Jesus. But let's break that down. Let's flesh that out. We can never talk enough about Jesus. You can, you can never hear enough about Jesus. But let's, let's consider a few things. Our text reminds us that the one who extends this, this invitation is utterly unique. Utterly unique. And we must grasp that. He is the eternal second person of the glorious Holy Trinity. Clothed in a human body. Love, mercy, and grace incarnate. He is the God-man. What is God like? Jesus. Jesus. Doesn't Jesus tell us that in verse 27? All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And Jesus didn't just reveal His Father by writing a textbook about Him. He didn't even just reveal His Father by preaching a sermon about Him. Jesus revealed His Father by coming to this world clothed in human flesh, living among us sinners, And dying for the enemies of God whom he had set his love upon. We read in Colossians, he that is the son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created. All things were created through Him and for Him and in Him. All things hold together. When you invite someone to come to church to hear the Gospel, you are inviting them to come and learn about not Gandhi, not Muhammad, not the Buddha, but the eternal second person of the triune Godhead. Who created all things including that person you are inviting to church. In Him all things hold together, says Paul. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. 
He is utterly unique. What Paul says of the Son of God in Colossians 1. Let me ask you, can you say that about anyone else that you know? Can you say that about your favorite athlete? Can you say that about your favorite celebrity? Can you say that about your favorite fill-in-the-blank? No, you can't. And if anyone other than Jesus ever came to you and said, come to me and you will find rest for your souls, you better run away. Because it's Jesus' uniqueness that qualifies him to extend this invitation. Only he can offer Many can offer it, they can't deliver. Only Jesus can offer and deliver. He is the God-man. He's not just a doctrine. He is our great high priest. He understands the human condition lying under the curse of sin more than you and I ever will. He understands the rumblings and grievings and tossings and turnings of your own heart better than you do. Because He is God. Jesus is utterly unique in another way. And in our text, uh, we see that Jesus himself won't allow us to overlook that fact. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, he said. Did you know that in all four gospel accounts, Jesus' heart is spoken of only once, and it's here. And it comes from the lips of Jesus himself. Jesus is telling us, this is who he is. If I may put it this way, this is what drives him. This is what animates him. This is what he cannot divest himself of. He is love, mercy, and grace incarnate. Gentleness and lowliness. What do these two words mean? Mean he is gentle, he, he is meek. He is humble. He is understanding. He is accepting. 
He's not a jellyfish. Don't get me the wrong way. He will judge the living and the dead. But His words are open before us right now. He is not harsh. He is not critical. He is not impatient. What does that all say? He is unlike you and I. He is utterly unique. There's more. He is lowly. What does that mean? It means uh, my understanding of, of the word here that's used in, in the original is, is that it's a word that's associated with those of a, of a humble and, and poor estate. Those who are outwardly uh, kind of on the bottom uh, the bottom rung of the ladder, as it were. How does this translate into what Jesus is saying? What I think Jesus is saying is that He is very approachable. You'd almost think we were talking about two different individuals, the almighty, glorious second person of the Godhead who's Meek and humble and gentle and lowly and approachable. Yes. He who has seen me has seen the Father. He's never too busy for you, boys and girls. He never puts your emails off. He'll never unfriend you. He sticks up for the one who's bullied in the playground. He's the strongest one on the block. He sticks up for the weakest. That's Jesus. Is that how you view Jesus? Our sinful hearts tend to lead us astray when it comes to our thoughts of Jesus. We can have the right doctrine. We can know the right words. But especially when things, and it's especially when things are going rough in our lives, we tend to view Jesus as a taskmaster, a harsh boss man who merely puts up with us. Who gives us the silent treatment if we miss our devotion. But friends, we need to be reminded here in God's word that Jesus is the one waiting for us to come to him and say, Lord Jesus, yes, I have neglected you. Yes, I, I have sinned, but cover me with your mercy. And oh, He's waiting to cover you more than you realize. More than you realize. Jesus delights to show mercy to sinners. I came not to call the righteous 
but sinners. Utterly unique. The one who invites. In the second place, probably spend less time in these final two points, but in the second place, I would like us to consider the ones who are invited. Who exactly does Jesus, the utterly unique one here, extend this glorious invitation to? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, in the immediate context, no doubt Jesus is surrounded by the scattered sheep of Israel who have been abused and uh, mistreated and led astray by the, the bad shepherds, the Pharisees and the scribes who were legalists, imposing laws and rules upon the people that they could never bear, making them feel guilty because they couldn't bear them. Jesus knows that. I have no doubt Jesus is looking at them in the eyes as he invites them to come to him. Why are they referred to as those who are laboring? I think because Jesus is referring to those who are trying hard to live up to the standard. They're toiling day by day to be acceptable, whether that's in the eyes of the Pharisees or in the eyes of God. And they fused the two, sadly, because the Pharisees had uh, misled them. Why are they heavy laden? Because they're never living up to that standard. And they're reminded of that on a daily basis. They labor. They're heavy laden. And how different is that from you and I today and those living down the street from us? Toiling under the curse of sin, alienated from our Creator. With a conscience that convicts us, even though it is fallen. Friends, our neighbors are laboring and heavy laden. And they need rest. As much as you and I do and did before Jesus gave it to us. And Jesus offers it to those who know that they cannot live up to the standards of God's perfect and glorious righteousness, which God can never lower. Jesus says, you come to me. I know you're broken. I know your sin deeper than you do. 
Will you come to me right now? Says Jesus. You don't say, wait, let me clean up myself and I'll come to you. Jesus says, you come to me right now just as you are. Let me shower you with my mercy and grace and restore your broken, sin-cursed human nature. Some of you know I love to, to play the guitar. I'm a guitarist. It's the first thing I do when I pick up a guitar. Well, usually it's check the tuning. Try to play a, a guitar that's out of tune, it sounds horrible. You've got to make sure your strings are all tuned up. Friends, this world, this community, my community back home in Quebec is full of people that are walking around this world like guitars out of tune. Their lives are a mess. They have no soul rest. And the only way they can be tuned up, so to speak, is if they come to Jesus just as they are untuned and broken. That's the stuff Jesus works with. Finally, let's consider the rest that is promised. There are different kinds of rest, aren't there? The Bible even uh, speaks of that. There is uh, weekly rest on the Sabbath. It's a good kind of rest. There is uh, bodily rest. That's part of the Sabbath. There's rest for our minds. And those are good rests, but they're not the ultimate rest. The ultimate rest that the Bible speaks of and that we need is rest for our souls. And I think that the rest that is spoken of here in our text is best articulated by Augustine in his classic, The Confessions, when he opens up that great masterpiece with these words, O Lord, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee, in you. Jesus is speaking about the deepest rest in your being that flows out of a restored relationship with your Creator. That's a deep rest. And if you're here this evening and you don't have that restored relationship with your Creator, you may feel that you're rested. You may feel refreshed. But if you are not in Jesus Christ, your soul is in turmoil. And you can only suppress it for so long. But Jesus offers to give you the rest that you need. 
Come to me, he says. You'll find rest for your souls. Because it is through Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ alone that we come back to the Father, that we come back to our Creator in a restored relationship established upon the gracious, merciful, finished work of Jesus Christ. That's soul rest. But I sin every day. I sin every hour of every day. You still have soul rest in Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Objectively. But friends, I want us to come away from this passage with a challenge. Or I want to challenge you, I want to challenge myself. Not only to seek to bring these words of invitation to the ears of those in our communities who must hear them. But for those of you who, and those of us who are walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to ask and answer the question, am I experiencing, am I enjoying this rest? Because if we're not, it's a symptom that something is out of whack in maybe our thinking, maybe our lives, something there. And if that's you tonight, this evening, that come to me is still laid before you. And that promise of rest for your souls is still held out to you. And so I want us to come away praying and longing for the experience, and I'm not trying to get all wacky experiential here, but the experience of subjective rest. The joy that comes, we were reading Uh, in our afternoon devotions, the joy that came welling up in Zacchaeus' heart when salvation had come to his house. What did Zacchaeus say? Lord, let me pay back those I have wronged in double or in triple, whatever. Let me throw a feast. What joy there was that filled Zacchaeus' heart. Why? Because he had been forgiven. Because he understood the grace of God in truth. And oh, he had a restful night's sleep that night, didn't he? Friends, let us not lose the wonder of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Because when we wander away from that, the rest wanders as well. But when we fix our eyes on the one who before us now in Matthew 11 says, Come to me, You sinners, you broken sinners who are heavy 
uh, bur- uh, laboring and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. Oh, let us come to him. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he said. 